3: Friday morning, the 15th of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. 300,000 adults have not been vaccinated in this country. Many of these people cannot get vaccinated through no fault of their own. Indeed, a small number of people are advised not to get vaccinated for medical reasons. And two,
2: there's a significant section of our society, for whatever reason, has decided not to be vaccinated.
3: The reality is that the vast majority of the 300,000 people who have not been vaccinated have chosen not to protect themselves and others from coronavirus.
2: And these individuals have waited... Very patiently.
3: This is Pader Tobin, TD, claiming in uh, The Doll that anti-vaxxers have been waiting patiently for it to be okay to refuse to get vaccinated.
2: Uh, Many of them them have felt discriminated against. Indeed, they have been discriminated against.
3: Discriminated against? It's hard to understand that assertion, it has to be said. How anti-vaxxers have been discriminated against.
2: No, I believe every adult should be making that decision for themselves.
3: Right, but they do have the same rights uh, as everyone else. Uh, They're choosing not to get vaccinated. Uh, They're making that choice through their own free will. They've made that choice, and that choice has consequences. Consequences for anti-vaxxers and, indeed, for all of us. But
2: here we are now where we're saying to a whole cohort of the population, 10%, at least 500,000, 600,000 adults in the States, that that discrimination against them is now likely to continue potentially until Christmas.
3: These people are not just risking their own health, they're risking your health, my health, our families, our neighbours and our colleagues. Why are they allowed to do this? Not only are they a public health hazard, but the result of their actions is no less than treacherous. There is now a risk that the country will be held back again. Restrictions may not be lifted next week. And if we aren't out of the woods yet, is there a risk that, apart from sickness, death and recession, that we also face the risk of more lockdowns. But patterto Bean sees this somewhat differently and the A2TD is worried about the impact that all of this is having on the anti-vaxxers.
2: Enormous mental health implications, weddings, family events, etc. that have been organised post-October Uh, 22nd will now have to be radically altered if if this is the case.
3: A peculiar point of view. That's uh, Peter Tobin who's on the line. Good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Are you an anti-vaxxer?
4: No I'm not and I've taken the vaccine myself and the vaccine has been one of the uh, major tools in relation to suppressing the illness and if you've listened to anything I've said over the last uh, uh, 12 months is that um, we called for vaccines to be rolled out as fast as possible to all of those who wanted to take the vaccine. Um, but I am struck um, by the fact that when we entered this particular crisis, the mantra was that we are all in this together. And now we have a situation where some people are, are othering individuals, calling them names Pointing the figures, uh, they're and choosing not to
3: be in it altogether, making,
4: making them feel like they're, they're, they're pariahs because of a the choice that they have made in relation to this. No other country, for example, um, has implemented. Um, a purely vaccine passport. Uh, well, in you can't go to work. You can't go, as to as work you can't go to work in Italy.
3: You uh, can't go to work in Italy if you. For, you've for f- as long it, as
4: Ireland has had. You can't go to Ireland. work.
3: You can't go to work in Italy if you have not been vaccinated. Do you know why? Uh, because people going to work don't want to get sick because some fool has come in and decided that they're not going to get vaccinated because of population control or some other nonsense that they've been reading on the internet?
1: Well, first of all,
4: I I wouldn't be calling people fools uh, at all, Michael, for the decisions that they've made. I know certain people who have issues with their heart. Uh, For example, they've issues... We're not talking about those people. Well, to to be honest, a good cohort of the people... Uh, who have, have decided not to take the vaccine are in that uh, situation. And mm. those individuals shouldn't be called treacherous or fools or anything else. Uh, an actual fact, if you look at Denmark, Denmark is a country that has a lower rate of vaccination than ourselves. Um, it has a lower rate of COVID than ourselves, um, and, and you know, they have no um, uh, restrictions anymore. And the reason being is because they actually introduced something called antigen testing. Antigen testing is what we've been calling for all this time. And antigen testing is actually far su- more superior in relation to stopping the illness. Because, you know, you and I, who are vaccinated, can get COVID, and we can spread COVID to our uh, workmates. Yeah, but there's less uh, at chance at of
3: us getting COVID if uh, these non vaccinated. Vaccinated people but
4: if you vaccinated. A, an antigen tests which shows that you don't have the illness, that's a far superior um, performance indicator with regard to the chances of you passing that illness to anybody else. And it's incredible that you must have heard hundreds of TDs come onto your show over the last t- 12 months and talk about, oh yes, we're looking into va- antigen testing and yes, we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. Do you believe
3: testing. in the right to bear arms? I mean, the American constitutional no, 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 stuff like, about walking but, down the street with guns.
4: Listen to what I'm saying, Michael. An antigen test finds out whether or not you have COVID and whether you can spread COVID or not. Uh, Having a vaccine doesn't indicate whether you have COVID or you can spread COVID. Antigen testing is a superior tool to stop the spread of COVID. That's why countries such as um, Denmark, who have lower rates of, of vaccination, have also got lower rates of COVID.
3: But you're defending and, and you're idea... defending people uh, who are deciding not to get vaccinated because uh, I, I because don't... they believe that Bill Gates wants to kill half the world. <laughs> uh, and you're defending all, you're defending def-
4: you be- I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I, I, I oppose cons- Conspiracy theor- theories. But I also. Do you I oppose. I do you really oppose there, there'll, be a, there'll
3: be a protest in I Dublin also today. There'll be. Well, I, I actually. Uh, there'll be a I protest.
4: the idea that people's civil rights can be taken off them. So you, um, I oppose I oppose segregation of you, individuals. You, you, would, you wouldn't right support now. cutting
3: the dole from those people who'll be out protesting in Dublin today. I, the only reason they'll be out protesting I, in I, Dublin I, today is because they don't have a job and they've nothing to do but spend the day on the phone.
4: Michael, I, I, first of all, I've never been involved in any of those campaigns, or, or marches, or, or demonstrations. But listen to this: like I, I grew up, you know, l- l- hearing about countries such, like South Africa, where it had signs yes. that certain people weren't able to go into. Yes, we
3: know what apartheid bars. is, and this is being described as medical apartheid, no, which it's but, but not.
4: There, there, there is a level of segregation here that's happening. And no, there wrong, isn't.
3: And just, no, there isn't. It's the well, same well, for everybody What
4: you're saying, to what you're saying, Michael, to one citizen is: you have a right to come in. And the other citizen you don't have the no, equal right no,
3: no, to No, 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 that's that's half the story and you know it. 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 What it you're is what the you're saying uh, you every say, single day for many you, people. What you are saying Well, that's because they're making decisions, but they have the same choices but as everybody else. Saying, and what, what just, just let this, me finish this, the point for a second. What you're saying to both citizens is uh, you have the right to get vaccinated, which will protect you and your family and everybody in this country from this virus. Uh, and if you decide to get that vaccination, then you have the right to come in. If you decide okay. not to, correct. then you uh, don't have the right to come in. It's the, the same... It's The correct. same. Uh,
4: the difference between for... your view and my view is I believe that human rights are universal. I believe that civil rights are universal. I believe that every citizen, on the basis of the fact that they're a citizen of this country, has the right to equality. Mm. What you're saying is actually... uh, uh, the rights to equality is dependent upon a a rule that a government can bring in at any stage. uh, Well, if I walked down the... That's not what a republic is about. If
3: I I walked down the street with a gun in my hand, uh, I'd be discriminated against because I can do it in America, but I can't do it here. Okay,
4: so you're you're saying discrimination should be in the basis of the danger the person is to another individual. So what I'm saying to you then is that if I'm vaccinated, I could have COVID. And I can spread COVID to you while a person who is unvaccinated, who has had an antigen test, doesn't have COVID and is less dangerous than me. But you're saying I have superior rights to the other individual.
3: No, if you have COVID, you should... No, you haven't. You If you have COVID, uh, your rights are, are gone. You have to isolate. You know the rules.
4: But, but, but I could have COVID and not know I'm COVID, I like that I have COVID. I could com- be completely asymptomatic, be vaccinated, have COVID. Uh, it was
3: a very I'm good... Thinking. You're saying it oh, I can no, go into a restaurant. No, I'm not but saying that. a
4: person who is not vaccinated well, fine, who have a, has had have, an antigen have, test have, have antigen. Is, it, it is not a danger, can't go in. Okay. So you're actually discriminating no. not on the basis of danger here, no, but, but on the basis of, of, of an arbitrary decision by a government. No,
3: have antigen tests as well. That's not problem there was a very good analogy that was put forward by professor philip nolan yesterday that going out with symptoms is the very same thing as drink driving and if you have symptoms or if you know you have covid and you go out well by god you should be imprisoned
4: but but now we're reaching now we're reaching a point of agreement michael because all we've said from the very start is if you're going to have a pass for hospitality include a vaccine pass if you want but also include a antigen test for those who are not vaccinated, no, we're, and we're for those who are vaccinated. And in actual fact, no, I,
3: I, do I, I don't want to go into a restaurant. From the twenty second of October, I'm not going into a restaurant if non-vaccinated people are allowed in. I'm not going into a pub. I'm not going to uh, into a library, uh, and I, I don't want to work here if people are coming in here if they're not vaccinated.
4: Well, oh, 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 and then there's the flip side of this. Not only is the the system that we have less effective against and. Um, uh, uh, COVID because obviously it doesn't stop people with COVID going into ho- uh, hotels or restaurants anyways mm. at the moment um, but also what you're saying to a whole section of, of mm. s- society of hospitality that your ability to earn an income is now going to be radically reduced uh, No,
3: uh, no, no, I'm, su- I'm supporting I'm, supp- I'm No, I'm suppo- is, uh, this no, this no, 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 no that's wrong, that's there, plain not. wrong I'm supporting the hospitality sector who are saying Absolutely exactly not, what I am The, no, what the what hospitality sector, is on its the did you not hear what they said? Yes, they said they said keep the COVID passports, keep the vax non-vaccinated people out. Let us uh, increase uh, the table sizes. Let 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 us stay open late uh, for vaccinated people only, so everybody can come, everybody can feel safe, everybody can have a happy Christmas.
4: Michael, the the hospitality sector has actually been saying exactly the same thing as that Aintu have been saying over the last while introduce antigen testing like if, if in 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 Denmark on a daily basis there are 500 That's okay. antigen tests
3: there are free get vaccinated go, do people an antigen test you can go to the local
4: pharmacy or, or a local place mm. at at five o'clock and in, in, in ten minutes, get yeah. an antigen test. Have that included the Do you know what on, the hospitality sector uh,
3: are saying as well? That these Egypts are coming up to the door saying, uh, "Under the constitution, I can come into this restaurant and all this bloody guff out of them." Uh, and I'm not wearing. And, and, I, and I'm not And I'm not wearing a mask. And I'm not doing this. And I'll do whatever I want. These are nutters, and they have to be either excluded or, or brought to book. It's as well, simple I, as that. You
4: know, for, for for hundreds of years people have called other individuals names they have yeah. taken their rights off them, they have discriminated against them, and they have segregated but them. But I don't I don't we, know if you we, have we, people we should, we should in your family who are I don't, know, I don't know I don't know if you have
3: people in your family who are vulnerable to COVID. Uh, people who are at risk of very se- serious illness or death, and that's what this comes down to. This comes down to love and respect. Loving people in your family uh, and indeed in your community and having respect for them. These people do not have that respect, and if they want civil rights, they have to act civilly.
4: See, see here's here's the deal, right? I would disagree agree with you, because the fact of the matter is, as I said, and and you're not listening to this, you can be vaccinated, have COVID and spread COVID.
3: I am listening to it.
4: And, and that's a really important yes,
3: point I agree
4: so your premise is based on the fact that you, if you're actually vaccinated in some way that you're insulating uh, people from the illness you're not actually because you're still potentially a, a, a transmission of the illness you, you are actually you no, are. A whole, a whole you're, you're, like, in, you're increasing
3: the chances <laughs> no, and uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's no no, you're, no, no you've point. said you, you've, you've made an inaccurate statement because that is not the premise for my argument I am saying brand have antigen testing the yeah. more the more the better but you no, are you, no, you're,
4: you're not actually calling people who haven't got antigen tests fools or idiots or, or stupid people and, and actually people I'm saying,
3: I'm saying people who believe that the, vac- the, the vaccine is a way of getting a chip into your, uh, into your body so that you can be controlled. I
5: think that's foolish, absolutely. I yeah, don't agree. Okay. I'm, I'm, no I, doubt about that. I'm no sa- nobody I'm, like,
3: I'm saying uh, that people that, 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 that claim that this is a, a part of global depopulation are fools. That this I, would is
4: agree, I would agree that's a very foolish yeah. to to have, the, absolutely. There's, and no, the, there's nobody uh, arguing with you there, Michael.
3: These are the I'm people saying. who are dangerous. These are the people who are refusing to wear masks. These are the people who are walking around shops uh, and uh, putting their face into other people's face uh, I, I and causing uh, and ending up in ICU, by the way. Can I
4: actually briefly come in there, yeah. please? Mm. The people who are dangerous over the last year are the government who haven't introduced antigen testing. Because antigen testing is by far the most superior way to stop the transmission of this illness. This country would have the same metrics as Denmark, a population of exactly, the, roughly exactly the same as this country, that has a third of the level of COVID that we have, that has a lower level of vaccination, mm. but has introduced antigen testing on a widespread basis. It is the key success factor of that country. This government has known about it, okay. they refuse to implement it, and that's the dangerous decision, Michael.
3: Is prevention better than cure?
4: Uh, absolutely. So okay. if you prevent the transmission of this illness, it's yeah. better than cure, for sure. So, and so, antigen testing is the best way to stop the, the transmission of this well,
3: illness. Well, where does the vaccine fit into that?
4: It, it is also a, a useful tool, to it is not as strong as antigen testing.
3: So you'd encourage everybody to get the vaccine?
4: Absolutely. I've, uh, I've taken uh, the vaccine uh, myself.
3: In tandem with antigen testing?
4: Yep, if 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 I can get an if I if I have okay. any symptoms whatsoever, I will take an antigen testing uh, in relation to before I, I will get involved in the social activity. Okay. Uh,
3: and what I'm should saying? you do you think we should follow the uh, Italian example uh, and uh, stop people from working with others if they haven't been vaccinated? No,
4: I, I I think the idea that a state will come in and say to one citizen, you have the right to earn a living for your family, uh, and another citizen. Uh, you have the rights, uh, uh, you don't have the rights to earn a living for, well, you, well, that's for any a
3: reason. Well, that's that's an interpretation. Because
4: uh, of the I mean, colour well, of the skin? Yeah, because no, the but you can tr- orientation? No, no, no. Because tr- of their religion? But, or whether or not they're taking a medical for, procedure? I think that's wrong.
3: Well, it, it's, I mean, it's uh, putting people on, it's putting, it's putting, wrong, it's putting, know it's putting, no, it's putting, it's putting people on an equal footing. You both have the right to work on an equal basis.
4: Everybody is equal, Michael.
3: Yeah, everybody is equal. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you you have the right to work uh, on the same what? basis as anybody else. It, it's a, no, an no, no, equal no. proposition. Everybody
4: has the right to work, Michael, in this country. Mm. Anyways, not this, every, it just it, it is a human right right to work. Mm. It's, not, it's not a dependent right. Mm. And when we start taking human rights and taking, say, say to them your human right is now dependent on Pe- something else that's when a country starts do, to go amiss. So,
3: so, so do people have the right to go around with guns in their pockets shooting people or, or walking down the street with a, a potentially a killer disease?
4: Well, first of all, many people have um, uh, illnesses that are transmissible uh, for a start. So if, if you're going to say to a person that your right to work is based on whether you have a virus that is a threat to your life, well, then you would actually have to include things like HIV, Michael, in fairness. No. Um, no. Absolutely, because HIV is a transmissible virus uh, and, and has the potential to, to end a person's life. So it's really dodgy ground getting into a space to say that on the base of the illness that you have, your rights are dependent upon it.
3: We're not in the same kind of crisis with HIV, nor could we be.
4: No, but, but there was a the time where we were, the same and way. there were people at it, that time, you know, trying to discriminate against people who had HIV, and it was wrong then and it's wrong now. It, 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 all I'm saying to you, Michael, is if we want to fix this solution, fix it on the basis of science... The best way to stop the transmission is antigen testing. The the government has refused to introduce antigen testing to this country. And therefore, we don't have the same metrics as the likes of of Denmark. And we have a... a Imagine we have nearly 94% of the adult population vaccinated. We have 100% of those who are over... A uh, 70 vaccinated and the government wants to uh, uh, increase or um, extend the, the, the restrictions uh, and yet we have countries such as Denmark and Germany and other countries uh, who have had high levels of antigen testing and they have fractions of the level of COVID in their societies.
3: Right. Uh, should people have uh, the right to protest against vaccines and to call on other people not to get vaccinated?
4: I'm I'm afraid, again, I believe in the the rights to demonstrate, and I also believe in the right to freedom of speech. I, I, I am wedded to the idea of democracy. Okay.
3: All right. uh, Talk to me a little bit, if you will, uh, about uh, the hospital in Nabbon. You had another Save Nabbon hospital meeting last night. Uh, The fear is that the emergency department in the hospital uh, is about to close. uh, And uh, that's not uh, the case, uh, according to Thomas Byrne. The minister was with us on the programme the other day. Maybe we can hear briefly what he had to say. This hospital
5: is going to see more people in it it's going to see more procedures done mm. and I'm going to ensure that there's more services yeah, when
3: the emergency right, department our... closes but 250 million euros the emergency department is not closing
5: Michael Stephen Donnelly has ordered a halt to any plans for that he has had nothing from the, from the, from the HSE on this. we've had nothing on this it's not happening um, and we want to get back and meet the doctors and see what the concerns are that we've read about really through rumoured speculation we want to see what exactly the concerns are
3: I'm well, wrong. you read the HSE letter which says that the board met in July and uh, they've decided to close the emergency department and with that, the ICU beds. Well, I, I can tell you that myself and Minister Damien English
5: had a meeting with Stephen Donnelly, a number of meetings over the last few weeks. And in fact, we've spoken to doctors too.
3: OK, and why weren't the opposition TDs invited? Well, we're organising meetings, which is what we want to
5: happen, between mm. all of the TDs in County Mead and the medical people okay. in Navin Hospital. That's what, that's what we want to achieve. But yeah. Stephen Donnelly has decided to order the HSE not to proceed with this while we just see where we are because we certainly have no information about transition plans we have no information about what alternatives are there, we have no information about what uh, what, what what the full plan is uh, on this and, okay. But you,
3: that, you accept um, that the, the HSE decided in July to close the emergency department and with that the ICU beds The HSE has been looking since 2013 You accept that that was the case the HSE, You've read that letter, Minister
5: The, H, the HSE has been looking to close this not close it but to change services uh, since 2013
3: we've been told we've Would you told accept that in July of this year the board met yes, and made a te- decision I'm to
5: you, execute that? I want to tell you what Minister Donnelly has decided which is tell the board of the HSE
3: not to proceed with this Pander being two things there very briefly one you're to be invited to a meeting with government and two Minister Donnelly has told the HSE not to proceed what's your reaction?
4: First of all, um, I, I would love for Minister Donnelly to make a public um, declaration of that um, and uh, indicate that to the people. Um, secondly, I'm, I'm amazed why that meeting was held only with government TDs and that um, opposition TDs and County Meads were excluded. I think that was absolutely wrong. Um, I contacted Thomas Byrne yesterday to see when we're going to uh, meet with the, the minister and we work not given the date. Um, in part, I was told because of Brexit, and in part because Stephen Donnelly is himself isolating uh, because of uh, COVID, and uh, not that he has it, but that there's a potential that he has it. Um, and I just think it's incredible that we have had a letter from um, the HSC to the hospital saying that the A&E is going to be uh, ended. Uh, we have had staff within the hospital tell. Uh, um, other staff in the hospital management that are telling staff that A&E is going to be ended, that we have had the Ireland East Group tell the unions that A&E is going to be ended, that we've also had a um, an answer on the record of the Dole saying that A&E is going to be ended, that all of the evidence is uh, pointing in this direction, where the, the hospital is saying openly, you know, that this is the case, that nobody's hiding it from the hospital or the HSE's perspective. And yet we're asked by by, by Thomas... You know, to you know, take the word of a minister uh, to on a meeting that you know we weren't invited, uh, that he won't say publicly. And um, you know, Minister Donnelly needs to come out publicly and say that the A and E in Navan and the ICU beds in Navan. And remember. They're looking to close the front line of this battle against COVID at a time where they're looking to extend these COVID restrictions, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and, you know, that, that, that threat is over. Uh, the minister needs to delete that line from the small hospital framework document. And to be honest, the Save Navan Hospital had a great meeting last night. Um, and we said, without a shadow of a doubt, that our bottom red line on this was that the government have to delete that line from the small hospital framework document. The threat to the hospital must be lifted completely. And actually, rather than HSE planning for a future where we're being reduced in services, we, we need to get to a situation whereby um, we are starting to invest in further resources into the hospital to okay. make the hospital Full stronger.
3: steam ahead with the protest at the end of the month. Ben.
4: Absolutely. Okay. And I'm delighted to say that a large number of organisations have already committed support uh, to okay. us. So Meath and District League, OMP, Park yeah. Villa, Simonstown, okay. Navin we, Cougars, we, Navin we, Taekwondo. We'll hear much
3: more about that in the next couple of weeks, uh, but we have to leave it there for the moment. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning, though. That's a to founder and leader and TD for Meath West, Peter Toby.
6: Michael Reed, Reed on,
3: on LMFM. Yeah, thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us uh, today. An awful lot of comments coming in to us uh, this morning. Paddy Duffy saying the 10% of uh, people who have not been vaccinated cannot hold the 90% who have hostage. Sometimes Paddy Tobin likes uh, to uh, be on the other side, to be contrary for the sake of being contrary. He's definitely wrong this time, says Paddy. Valerie Androhada says Michael, I'm fully vaccinated. So are most of my family. I do not accept that we should take away someone's rights, though, if they choose not to get vaccinated. They are not stating any conspiracy theory. People are fully vaccinated and are spreading COVID. There is clear evidence of this in the way that they behave. I would rather sit beside someone not vaccinated that has taken precautions and continue to do so from the start of the pandemic than someone who is vaccinated who is not taking precautions at all thank you indeed somebody else says uh, what if someone is not vaccinated uh, and that's because they can't get vaccinated for medical reasons how dare you? Uh, we did say at the very beginning of the programme, there's many people who are advised not to get vaccinated, but we weren't talking about those people this morning. We were talking about people who chose not to get vaccinated because they read something mad on the internet. Uh, somebody else in touch saying, for people who can't get the vaccine due to medical reasons, should they be excluded from having a nice Christmas? I think antigen testing is a great idea for indoor dining. At least them, you know, everyone is COVID free. Thank you indeed. It's a very valid point Uh, and uh, I think uh, one... Uh, that would need a little bit of imagination uh, to be tackled if we were insisting on people generally speaking being vaccinated you would have to facilitate people who are advised not to get vaccinated somehow somebody else saying the only nutter nutter is you Mike shame on you you actually sound evil shocking I'm embarrassed for you thanks uh, for letting me know Uh, another text from Pat in Balbriggan, who says Michael you're dead right I see people here in Balbriggan this morning heading for the train to go to work and anti-vaxxers with their cardboard boxes with slogans on it heading out on their protest after collection, <laughs> collecting their dole from the post office. They should be working. Professional protesters cut their money off, says uh, Pat M. Um Al Brigham. Thanks uh, for that. I'll give you one more for the moment uh, from somebody who asks, does Paddertow being believed smokers are being discriminated against by not being allowed to smoke in pubs and restaurants? Thank you indeed to everybody, as I say, who's been in touch with us so far today. Michael,
6: Michael Reed on LMFM.
3: Now, if uh, you're dreaming of owning your own home, if you're looking for a house uh, to buy and uh, you're looking for a bargain or at least uh, something that's not extortionately expensive, uh, you may look uh, to buy Okay. <laughs> In Castle Ray, it's the only place in the country where prices are below one hundred thousand euro. The median price is ninety two thousand five hundred euro. In Dundalk, it's two hundred and thirty five thousand euro. In Drogheda, it's two hundred and sixty eight thousand euro. In Navan, two hundred and sixty thousand euro. In Dunchokland, three hundred and thirty one thousand euro. And all of this feeds into what is soaring property prices. Yesterday, the CSO published its Consumer Price Index along with the Residential Property price index up to August of uh, this year and it shows increases of 10.9% nationally similar increases here uh, along uh, the border region uh, increases of almost 21%. They say that in August almost 60% of the transactions over the course of the last year happened and that out of that increase in prices of almost 10.9%, 11% 10.9%, 11% if you like, that half of that growth was in the last three months of the year. That's June, July and August. In other words, let's talk to Gabriel O'Brien who's uh, the director of REA O'Brien Collins, uh, an estate agents uh, based in Drogheda. Good morning to you Gabriel and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme as always. Good morning Michael. These really are soaring prices. Can they continue to increase at such a rate?
7: I don't believe that they can, uh, Michael. And just going back to the fact that, as you said, that over 50% of that increase in transaction activity took place there in August and perhaps the, the summer months. What we experienced and indeed our colleagues in the sector um, experienced was after the last lockdown, there was a surge of activity where um, prices increased by by um, almost... Um, well, sorry, 50% of that double-digit increase of just under around the 10% mark in those three months. And there was a pent-up demand, a lack of supply. Um, uh, bids came in on properties where typically it could have gone 10%, 15% over the asking price. Now, what we have seen now most rec- in the most recent weeks is that uh, frenzy and fren- frenetic activity that was in the market it has cooled and has slowed down
3: right so we've was, actually
7: witnessed um, lower inquiry level so in the last few weeks
3: it was pent up demand in other words which is starting to level off a bit
7: yeah i think there's signs of that now i mean the economist uh, michael will say that um property prices are going to increase are set to increase um, over the next few years. My own hunch on that is that it, it will be at more modest increases because um, wage wage inflation is not there. Mm. And I think that maybe we're in for a little bit of a smoother ride, albeit at a higher price level.
3: Uh, and wage inflation quite likely. Uh, will be offset by the cost of living we're looking at soaring energy prices uh, and with that uh, an increase in uh, the cost of almost everything so whatever wage inflation there is uh, that would be uh, offset as i say uh, by those increases Most likely,
7: Michael, and that actually feeds into, um, you know, the new home sector where there is um, a demand out there from people who want to buy their A-rated home, which, albeit um, energy costs are going up, well, at at least you're starting from a lower base with a more energy-efficient home, and... Generally, people are asking us now. You know, one of the one of the first questions is, "What is the B or rating of that property?" So, for for new home sector where you can run your house and home at the touch of a button, that seems to be where there is great interest at the moment.
3: I'm sure there is, uh, because that uh, seems to be uh, the future, <laughs> whether you like it or, or cool. not. Uh, that's going to be what we're all going to have to do uh, over time. Uh, there must be some awful panic, though, with prices increasing at such a rapid rate. Uh, I mean to think of prices increasing uh, by 5-6% over a a three-month period like that. Uh, It it must be very disheartening for somebody uh, who was hoping to buy somewhere uh, and didn't get it and then looks at a a similar uh, property three months on uh, and it's 5-6% more expensive.
7: Absolutely, Michael, that's, that's, that's actually spot on and I mean we've seen that maybe some buyers who actually didn't buy during the summer months, maybe they're out there now taking stock and seeing what the new year will bring and maybe leave the, the, the property buying to the side for the next few months although mm. I have to say we're still selling them and we're still selling properties that mm. people are buying but, but the frenzy has has left the market. Now for anybody who was selling a property during the summer months you know, and didn't have to buy in the same market although there's not many people that have a surplus property they did particularly well.
3: Mm. And I, I gather that uh, people must have been asking themselves will I ever be able to afford my own home because every time I get close Uh, As close as it is, it's not close enough uh, uh, and then suddenly I'm priced out of it again.
7: Priced out of it and still paying uh, very high uh, rental levels um, in the in the property rental market, where you know prices have gone up um, by double digit um, increases there over the over the last year. Now, I will say that for the new home sector and first hand buyers, the extension of the help to buy scheme to the end of 2022, where you can claim up to a maximum of thirty thousand, that's actually um, uh, that, that's that's most welcome in the in the new home sector.
3: And um, what about the help to buy scheme? Uh, is it helping people, or is it adding to price inflation?
7: I I don't know that it's necessarily adding to price to price inflation. Um, I know there is a narrative out there that that it's added on to the to the price of the of the house. I I, th- I think the main challenge for price increases in the new home sector is not the help to buy scheme. It's actually uh, problems in the supply chain. And its building cost and labour cost inflation, hmm. which is w- a way ahead of um, actually property prices and general inflation in the economy.
3: Okay, uh, is it uh, difficult to get uh, your dream house at the moment because of the lack of supply?
7: It, it is. It is indeed. And we always encourage buyers out there to keep a, a weathered eye on the on the property portals and to sign up for email alerts. And that if they feel that that, that this may be the house for them you know don't hold back and let other you know bidders create the momentum mm. actually go for it because if it if it is um and to you know whether it's a good time to to sell or a good time mm. to buy i think it's all about your your family family lifestyle decisions about um affordability i think any prospective buyer out there should stress test themselves to perhaps um you know up to a 2% increase in uh, mortgage rates and I mean, I have to say, if you're if you're renting at the moment, I mean that that's a, that's wasted money. And if you can, on balance, after stress testing yourself, afford to buy an energy efficient new home, then maybe it is the time to to take that plunge.
3: Okay, so if you're thinking of selling and you were holding off because of the prices increasing, you're. Feeling at the moment is uh, that uh, the next set of increases will only be marginal increases. So now is as good a time as any, is it?
7: I think I think it is, Michael. And I'll just okay. give you I'll mm-hmm. just give you a quick anecdotal evidence that maybe four or five months ago we put a house on the market at um, let's say three hundred thousand. People were scrambling over themselves, uh, bidding and viewing it, and maybe let's say it sold for three thirty-five. Now the same house that we put on the market at three thirty-five there's less interest at the moment. There's less inquiry level, there's a lesser number of bidders, lesser viewing, but that's because the price has increased and mm. um, I don't see those strong double-digit double increases happening over the next few continuously over the next few years.
3: Okay, maybe that'll change after this call. You could have uh, generated some interest in, in that, but uh, if people uh, are looking at that particular property or something else for that matter, uh, if uh, they think look that's just everything it ticks all of the boxes everything i was looking for a bit expensive Uh, it's probably not going to reduce in price would that be the case
7: i don't i don't particularly see any any price reductions in the future i'll also say to you michael i've never met somebody who's who has said to me that they actually paid too little for a property um, so, okay. so I think it's all, for anybody who's bought a home including myself, <laughs> it's always been a big big buy yeah. on the day that you
3: You haven't you been in Castlereagh obviously <laughs> no,
7: <laughs> Oh no, Castlereagh no. here we come 92500
3: the median price there, a little bit different locally obviously but thank okay. you indeed uh, for talking us through all of that. Thank Gabriel O'Brien is uh, the director of R.E.A. O'Brien Collins uh, auctioneers based in Drogheda.
6: Michael, Michael
3: Reed, Reed on, on LMFM The Tanisha, Leah Bratker, said Yes that in time, over the next couple of years, he's hoping to introduce uh, the living wage in this country as a minimum wage, if you like. The living wage is set uh, by the Living Wage Technical Group, and uh, this year it's at €12.90. The minimum wage in this country is ten twenty, and the budget that's to increase by thirty cent to ten fifty. Let's uh, talk to Michael Taft, SIPTU researcher and a member of uh, the Living Wage Technical Group. A uh, very good morning to you, Michael, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the program uh, this morning. It is a significant increase at the same time, isn't it? The
8: uh, going from ten twenty to ten fifty. Uh, it is. It's 30 cents. It's about. Um, uh, it's about 3%. That's going to be pretty much in line, probably sl- just slightly less than the uh, average increase in wages mm. uh, uh, overall. But we have to remember that last year, the wage went up by only 10 cents. Mm. So in one sense, it's making up for uh, uh, the decision last year. So if you look over the, if you take it over the two-year period. Uh, through COVID, it's been a 20 cent increase each each of the two years.
3: Okay, but from January, people will be up about 10, 12 euro a week, that type of thing.
8: That's right. It'll be yeah. about, uh, it'll be just a little bit under 12 euro, if they are a full-time worker.
3: Mm. Yeah, Sorry,
8: uh, uh, and
3: I take it that most people who are on the minimum wage are part-time workers.
8: About 60% mm. uh, yeah. would be part-time, and even among the full-time, you know, the CSO categorizes people as full-time workers, they don't necessarily work 39 hours. Mm. Full-time is considered anything over 30 hours. Mm. So a full-time worker uh, would um, uh, receive about a, an additional 600 euros if they're working 39 hours. Okay. But it's a small proportion of people who work a full 39 hours on the minimum wage.
3: Okay. Uh, have you any idea of how many people on the minimum wage uh, would enjoy tips?
8: uh... well there would be a high proportion of uh, hospitality workers yeah. mm. uh... on the minimum wage uh, so you know those who are in the position to receive tips mm. uh... you know if they're on the minimum wage and that would supplement their wage however as we know there's a real problem with people being able to retain their tips uh... and uh... we don't know the proportion of people of those who can retain their tips are yeah. on the minimum wage but mm. obviously that would be a boost where there's a fair distribution of the tips throughout uh, the, the mm. staff. In.
3: Where, where, where there is, is it fair? Uh, I mean, uh, you're probably doing better than somebody who would be on the living wage if you weren't getting tips. Uh, if you're working as a waiter on 10.50 an hour or 10.20 an hour and you're getting tips, uh, it's quite possible that your hourly rate would be up around 15, 16 euro.
8: That, that's true. But the problem, is, the problem with uh, basing money on tips, of course, is uh, it depends on the, the workplace that you're in. Mm. If you're in a kind of a you know a, a kind of a more upmarket mm. uh, uh, restaurant, you're going to get higher tips, you know, per the wage bill. Yep. Uh, if you're in a, a restaurant which is not at that level, you will get a lower tip, even though you're doing the same work. Yep. Uh, so uh, it's not exactly it's not the fairest system. No, what it's What you really not. want to do is boost the base pay and then have a proper uh... a proper system uh, for the uh, distribution uh,
3: of the tips. There's a, a lot of problems with it. I mean, you could go out tonight and get a beautiful meal in a restaurant and think, God, I really enjoy that and I want to give a, a good tip. It was so nice. Uh, but <laughs> the money won't go, the money that you're tipping won't go to the person who made the food. It'll go to the person who brought the plate to the table. Sometimes. Not always the case, but sometimes. It's just another Some, one of the flaws. So
8: sometimes. I yeah. mean, mm, it really mm. it does depend on the it does depend on the firm. Now, as we know, in many cases, it's been reported in the media. It doesn't even go to the person who, who, who actually served the food. It mm. actually uh, yeah. goes, to the, goes to the owner. But, uh, again, I mean, you know, it's interesting that you, 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 you put it that way because if somebody receives a tip because somebody had a really nice meal, well, what happens if they didn't have a really nice meal, but the service was still the same, it was yeah. quality service, mm. people will uh, maybe experience a lower tip for something that was outside of their control. Yeah, and sometimes yeah, that's you'll... You, why, sometimes, that's why we talk about a base rate, mm. Uh, that puts everybody, uh, you know.
3: Cost- yeah, and sometimes you, you you'll hear people going mad in restaurants, uh, which is uh, verbal assault on waiters. Uh, you know, my food is cold. Uh, yeah, but I didn't make it. Well, actually, <laughs> you know? actually, uh, yeah. uh,
8: there have been surveys uh, yeah. done. Uh, yeah. Doctor Deirdre Curran uh, uh, did a, a, a very exhaustive survey, and what one of some of a huge proportion of workers uh, suffer. Uh, verbal harassment mm. uh, now that can be actually from the employer or uh, uh, it might be from the manager uh, or it might be from the customer, so sometimes working I- 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 in these places you know it 's not just about the wages it 's also about the working conditions because yeah. who wants to mm. go to work and be verbally harassed yeah. although a lot of people do experience that, I think a lot of people would find that very distasteful
3: mm. oh it 's dreadful yeah it 's uh, never pleasant. Uh to experience it, uh, and must be all the worse if you're at the end of it. Uh, but uh, that's just a part of life, it seems, for people who are on minimum wage. They're going to get that increase from January, but of course, uh, whether it's worth €12 Euro or, or, or not, uh, it, it won't really mean any improvement in uh, their living conditions, uh, their standard of living, uh, based on what's expected in terms of inflation.
8: That's correct. In fact, the uh, ESRI uh, did an initial... Uh, impact assessment of the budget. Uh, by and large, uh, people will experience, I mean, this is uh, you know, very low uh, very low increase after inflation, but in some cases low wage earners could even end up uh, falling behind inflation.
3: Well, it looks uh, that because, way, doesn't it? Yeah, because sorry? it looks that way. I, I think uh, the calculation is that if you're on about 25,000 euro, you're only going to be up two euro and if uh, you need an extra tenner a week for your fuel next year, that means you're down 8 euro in reality. That's
8: correct. Uh, uh, you know, with the the impact of the uh, inflationary spikes, which are heading, you know, towards 4% uh, uh, in inflation, at least in the short term, uh, what you could find is it will be not just low-wage earners, but average earners will experience, uh, uh, you know, a real, what's called a real cut in their wages and their living standards. That is, there will be a cut after inflation. So uh, the you don't want to get into a situation where wages chase prices. But what you do want to do is ensure, uh, through whatever mechanism, that people don't lose out. Uh, you know, And, for instance, I mean, for employers, for good employers who are paying wage increases, it must be very frustrating for many of these good employers because mm-hmm. they're trying to uh, remunerate uh, uh, their employees, and yet they find that uh, for for the wage increase that they give, uh, it's going out the pocket, it, it's going out. A higher rents, mm-hmm. uh, it's going out for uh, higher fuel products, yeah. and so the employee doesn't get the experience. Well, They, they,
3: they, they face the same energy increases uh, of course, uh, so they're paying their staff more, but it's also more expensive uh, to run their business, and with the increase in those prices, there's that knock-on uh, effect, because diesel will be more expensive, it's more expensive uh, to run a, a truck, it's more expensive to heat a, a warehouse, so the cost uh, of uh, the products from source are going to increase and they'll increase in supermarket shelves and the cost of living it goes into that spiral and everything gets more expensive so you're paying out more whether you're an employer or or an employee uh, but there's less coming in it seems.
8: Well that's correct and uh, especially with uh, fuel products because as you say fuel uh, you know just so much of what we consume uh, there's a fuel there's a a fuel input into that Uh, so as you say uh, it's not just about heating your house or heating uh the warehouse or the business uh, uh this will feed into uh eventually this could feed into uh food items uh, uh everyday items that have to be transported or indeed imported it have to be imported from uh uh Britain or or in Europe and they'll experience the uh, uh impact of the higher fuel it will eventually make its way into the final price and it's the consumer that pays the final price
3: okay Right, well, it'll be an interesting year ahead, uh, I, I think, uh, as uh, people come to r- realise uh, what they're up uh, and what it means in terms of uh, their spending power, Michael. Uh, but we'll leave it there for the moment. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us, as always. Michael Taft, SIFTU researcher, is a member of uh, the Living Wage Technical Group. Now, a um, uh, listener to the programme uh, who's somewhat upset, uh, I think, uh, it's uh, Siobhan. Uh, I think, uh, who was in touch with us, uh, I think, yesterday and then got back uh, to say I only read out part of the comment and why didn't I read it all out uh, because uh, it was very long, I think, Siobhan. She says uh, she doesn't want to hear me saying that people should be getting vaccinated and not listening to that stuff on the internet, which is what I've been saying. And she says if Michael wants to get vaccinated, more power to him. If the vaccine works, he's protected. If it doesn't work, why force people to get a jab that doesn't work. Uh, Well, the vaccine works up to a a point, uh, but it'll work all the better if everybody gets vaccinated. Uh, I think uh, that's uh, what we've been told by the experts, Siobhan. She says Waterford, 99.7% of adults vaccinated, yet Waterford has the highest COVID cases in uh, the country, second highest vaccinated in Carlow, second highest incident rate in Carlow. Again, if people want to take the vaccine, more power to them. But this is a hate campaign and a, a witch hunt against people Uh, that choose not to be vaccinated. It's disgusting. And she says uh, that this is dangerous rhetoric uh, and uh, that she also goes uh, on to say that 60% of COVID cases in hospital are vaccinated. It does not stop infection or transmission. It reduces symptoms. If unvaccinated people get sick, they have symptoms and are homesick vaccinated get sick they have no symptoms walking around infected and unknowingly asymptomatic super spreaders who is the biggest public health risk uh, and she says she wanted me to read that out uh, in its entirety today thank you indeed uh, for that uh, uh, oh, uh, oh siobhan that wasn't siobhan's comment uh, i beg your pardon I mixed up comments there uh, another th- this is siobhan's comment uh, she said uh, i want to comment on the program this morning uh don't know who the last comment was from, but thank you for it all, all the same. Uh, she says, I've always been a fan of uh, the show and commanded Michael on the way he puts his view across, but yesterday morning show was a disgrace. I'm a fully vaccinated person who has absolutely no problem with someone who chooses to get a vaccine or not. We live in a world where we have free choice, or at least should have. Michael insulted unvaccinated people with his derogatory comments accusing them of uh, the country not being able to open up because of them not being vaccinated. And he called them stupid and also that they couldn't spelled properly I as a vaccinated person can carry the virus exactly the same as an unvaccinated person therefore how is an unvaccinated person more of a threat than I am explain this Michael If anything, we as vaccinated people are more of a threat to the unvaccinated people because we can both spread it. But the unvaccinated are more at risk of getting severely sick. Michael, you're a disgrace. I'll never listen to the show again. Uh, She just uh, wants me off the radio. Thanks, uh, Siobhan, uh, for that and for sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, It's certainly proving to be an interesting conversation. And it's clear that not everybody agrees that people should be getting vaccinated or should... uh, Uh, have to get vaccinated. Uh, Tommy says Michael Reid is not God. It's disgusting behaviour from him yesterday and today. Tommy is vaccinated but he goes on to say he believes that people have the right to make their own decisions and their own choices. Michael is uh, breaking all the rules. He's uh, going to lose a lot of listeners about this. Uh, Pat and Caribbean Cross says it was a great debate this morning. The best he's heard so far. Angela says there were 43,000 people in Britain who were given false results walking around mixing with people, yet Michael just keeps going on. He sounds like a a right bully, Angela says. Well, thank you for sharing that with us as well, Angela. Another uh, call about this from Kira, who says antigen tests are not reliable. She knows of four people that have used them and they gave the wrong results. One listener says that the vaccine has obviously gone to my head, Michael. I've lost the run of myself. Uh, well, if I have, it's not because of the vaccine. How could it do that? That's a, that's nonsense. Um, Michael Indrahida in touch. He says, uh, thanks for talking pure sense, Michael. We need more presenters like yourself who are not afraid to challenge these people who don't care about the people around them and are willing to put them at severe risk. Keep up the good work, he says. Joe says Michael Reed is absolutely spot on with his arguments about masks and the vaccine he's the only commentator with the guts to call it as it is it should be no vax no entry thank you indeed Joe uh, for that and uh, I suppose everybody has the right not to get vaccinated if they don't want to but if that puts others at risk the point we're making is why should they be allowed to put people at risk and that was the point that I was making the pat or Joe bean uh, if you want to carry a gun, fair play to you, but should you be able to carry a gun uh, if there's a chance that you'd shoot me and kill me? Uh, And we've been living with this virus for so long, but here we are uh, on the brink of reopening, or at least that's where we thought we were up to about a week ago, and it seems like it's... Two steps forwards and three steps backwards uh, as things stand. But thank you to everybody, uh, whichever side of uh, that debate you fall on. Uh, hopefully we've given you some food for thought. And thank you for sharing in those thoughts and sharing your thoughts with us, for that matter, through our phone lines or text lines, social media, WhatsApp and so on. Thank you indeed. Michael,
9: Michael Reed on LMFM. on LMFM. Farmers have been promised to just transition. So what's the evidence of change so far? The evidence is we're poor, We are importing peat from Latvia. Now, Latvia is in the European Union. They have the same laws um, uh, as we have. We are importing wood from Scotland and the real possibility of significantly increasing uh, the importation of tonnages of beef from Brazil. Now, that's the reality, literally, on the ground for farmers. So, But it wasn't just that that agriculture was overlooked when it came to new supports. It's the sting in the tail when it comes, for example, to the reduction in the flat rate fat. I think 5.6 to 5.5 percent. 0.1 percent. Doesn't sound like much, but it means 7 million to farmers. But it was also the fact that 49 million from carbon tax receipts that were supposed to go into agriculture has been deferred to social welfare. Now, deferred, my question is, is there no policy or programme to support the agricultural sector in decarbonising?
3: That's independent uh, TD, Marion Harkins, speaking in uh, The doll yesterday, uh, and she joins us on the line now very good morning to you, Marion Harkin, and thanks indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Tell us about this 49 million euro. What was it intended for, and should it not have been ring-fenced for that purpose?
10: Well, good morning, Michael, to you and your listeners. It's a while since I've been chatting to you. I'm actually... Here actually in my car at the moment in North Leitrim at the moment, so uh, I'm a different part of the world. But you know something, a lot of the things that matter to people in this part of rural Ireland matter to the people who are listening to your program. And mm. um, to come back to your question um, about the uh, forty nine million, it's recognised by everyone that agriculture has a lot of. What we might call heavy lifting to do when it comes to reducing emissions. Yeah. And a lot of farmers were looking to this budget. Yes, the cap is two years delayed, it starts in 2023. But they were looking to this budget to see, you know, policy initiatives, to see how they could be part of the solution instead of very often being see- seen as just part of the problem, or the problem. Mm. And this budget offered nothing, except, now, of course it did roll over the schemes, to be fair. Whatever was in place has being kept in place, and that's not nothing. But there was nothing new. There was nothing in this that, that showed farmers that they could play their role. Mm. And in mentioned the flat rate, that, that it's a 0.1% change, but it means a lot to farmers, around 7 million. But the big one is the carbon tax. And the rationale to the carbon tax is we put this tax on certain products so that, and it's not just farmers, it's right Mm -hmm. across the board, that the rest of us change our behaviour, basically.
3: And and 1.5 billion has come from carbon tax, uh, which should be going to farmers, shouldn't it?
10: Well, one-third of it. Mm. One and a half billion between now and 2030. Yeah. But their share for this year, or the coming year, is 49 million. And that has been deferred to uh, social welfare. Now, deferred, I mean, and they promised, yes, mm. farmers will get it if you come back to them. But what kind of message is that giving? No, but- the money is being collected. Mm. That part of it is agriculture for farmers and yet it's not being given to the sector this year Right, I, I,
3: I think a lot of people are probably confused, this is 49 million euro which was to help incentivize farmers to take up schemes uh, that uh, would uh, use decarbonising practices to make farming green uh, and that money would be there to help that transition as you called it, uh, it was to be ring fenced was it?
10: Yes, you said it perfectly in that sentence, Michael. So I'm how concerned. how
3: how can you defer money that's ring-fenced?
10: Well, no, that's a question somebody else has to answer. And I believe the answer we got was that, and I'm quoting now from another publication, was that um, the, the department had sufficient resources to do what it needed to do. And that it was a matter, I think, of scheduling or timing. And I just, my question to the Tawnish yesterday, one of my questions was, and I think you might have played it, was there no programmes? Was there nothing in place? I mean, it's, it's not a, an issue for people maybe in a lot but mm. you go to the Midlands, and as I said, we're importing people from Latvia, and yes, we're telling people there's going to be a just transition. But I think there is, not a full realisation in the general public of what's expected of farmers. And if I could just maybe take one minute to, to explain. Mm. Each one of us has a responsibility to decarbonise, and different sectors, whether it's transport or agriculture, have responsibility. But let's say you're a truck driver and somebody else is a farmer. Now, if you're a truck driver, uh, your sector will have to decarbonize and The costs, of course, will be passed on to customers, to consumers, because that's how it is. But if you're a farmer, an individual, think about the man right now who's out there in his field doing whatever he's doing, or the woman. uh, They have a personal an individual responsibility uh, to cut back on emissions. Mm. And how do they do that? The only way they can do that is... To have support from government because mm. there's a cost to everything. And farmers' incomes are among the lowest in the country in general, not everyone I understand that. Mm. So, in some way, if government support allows them to decarbonise, and we're all being told the cap will deliver, the cap will deliver, but the cap doesn't start in 2023, and farmers have uh, uh, not just A commitment but a responsibility to start that process in immediately and to be doing it now and just there was nothing in the budget because I said agriculture was ghosted
3: Can I just check myself uh, that I understand this properly Um, let's take a bag of coal for example, it's 90 cents that's been put on a a bag of coal in in carbon tax, something like that Uh, and the idea is that the government gets all of those 90 cents puts them all together and then spends that money on initiatives that will help reduce emissions. Uh, 49 million would go to farming to help farming be greener. Uh, But the 49 million isn't going to farming, it's going back to welfare to help pay for the additional fuel allowance to buy the bag of coal, which is costing the euro. Is that it?
10: That's exactly right. Now, they say it you come back over the next few years, but all of us know that promises are not always kept. And for so my question that they the yesterday, he said to me, yes, but farmers will get the same uh, positive impact from increased fuel allowance as everyone else. And he's right, he's not wrong. But when there is no understanding, is that farmers
4: have a much
10: heavier burden to carry when it comes, decarbonize decarbonise. Uh, we all have to have bear the uh, impact, if you like, of carbon tax. Um, for those who are on lower income, there is, uh, whether it's the fuel allowance or whatever, it's some help. It's Maybe mm. not enough, but it's some help. But for farmers, it's totally separate. In order to earn their income, they have significant costs in order to decarbonise. An example I've used is this, Michael. Mm. If you're a truck driver, now you're in a sector that has to decarbonise, but if you earn, let's say, €800 euro a week, nobody is going to come to you and say, well, we take a quarter of your income, €200, euro, and that will have to be used to decarbonise the sector. Uh, otherwise, you're going to lose income. But that's being told to farmers in the new cap because a quarter of their, what we call or used to call the single farm payment, is going to eco schemes that helps them to decarbonise and there's cost. So the point I make here is this. The cost to rural people and to farmers in particular to decarbonise, to cut down on emissions in simple language, is much more significant than elsewhere. The actual cost, the backpacker, the 5, the 10, the 20 euro in the backpackers and yesterday's budget did nothing to help those people.
3: Okay. It's a peculiar sort of story, it has to be said. Uh, I'm sure uh, farmers are, are very well aware of everything that you've uh, said, uh, but uh, it may uh, come as a surprise, uh, I think, uh, to the non-farming community. Hard to understand. The government says it's committed to, to holding on to this money and giving it over to farmers sometime between 2023 and 2030 uh, when uh, the cap reforms come into play. But uh, let's hope uh, they remember to do that and uh, we we'll leave it there. But and thank you.
10: That's part of the problem, yeah, Michael. Mm. I think that, you know, you maybe heard the expression, I don't know, live horse and get grass, you know. And mm, mm. um, you'll get it in the future. But, but farmers are expected to cut down on carbon emissions this year, and, and we all know this, it's not as if this comes um, as a big surprise. Mm. So here we have a pot of money, 49 million, and the department have no programs, no plans that that money can be used in a sector that has to do much of the heavy lifting in cutting
3: emissions. Peculiar, as I say. Nice to talk to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, again. Uh, that's Independent TD for Sligo Leitrim, Marion Harkin. Michael,
6: Michael Reed on, on LMFM.
3: Yeah, a, a text to us uh, from uh, somebody who has signed it with arrows and equals marks and a plus and an M uh, and all sorts of things. Uh, we'll say thank you M. Uh, and all of the other things uh, for your text, uh, who says the pubs and restaurants will be a happier place if you're not in them, you uh, arrogant man. Uh, that's me, I think. Uh, I've never heard such ignorance and pigheadedness in my life. What happened to your tripe of my body, my choice? You're full of it. Uh, and I'm not anti-vax, by the way. Thanks. uh Um, star plus uh, all of that stuff Uh, thank you very much indeed Uh, actually do you know what I might go for a pint this evening Uh, I think I might uh, go out for me dinner there's a a very nice place Uh, I know locally that I might go for me dinner tomorrow Uh, I think it's to rain tomorrow probably be looking at uh, people uh, who can't get in because they haven't been vaccinated Uh, if they are allowed in from the 22nd of October uh, I don't think I'll go into anywhere wouldn't want to mingle with those people Uh, somebody else uh, says ask Peter Tobin where the country would be if uh, the majority of us decided to be selfish and not get vaccinated Uh, somebody else says give it a rest lads I thought by listening to the radio that over 90% of people are vaccinated so please explain how the hell the numbers are higher than ever before Yeah, uh, I think that's the question everybody is asking. Thank you indeed uh, for texting us uh, as well. Somebody else in touch with us about the budget, all the talk about the budget when the last piece of the last lockdown was lifted. The local butcher was selling five chicken fillets for a fiver, three strip loin steaks for 10 euro. When lockdown was lifted, the fillets went up 50 cents, the steaks went up 2 euro. My income is 258 euro. The real budget didn't help, but yet it's going to be a long and hard winter. Uh, text then from Jerry in Wilkinstown says, Is it fair that pubs and nightclubs and anywhere that young people go to be stopped? by anti-vaxxers and people refusing to get vaccinated from reopening. It looks like that's the way uh, it's going to be, uh, says uh, Jerry. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people will be hoping that you're wrong. No decision made as yet. But uh, obviously there were a lot of questions about this in the doll yesterday as well.
11: Reopening, further full reopening on 22nd of October. Uh, and in the context where we've seen 43% rise in COVID cases in the last week, we find... Uh, Two thirds of all cases are now for people less than between under 44 years of age. Uh, and we find that 10% of the people now been hospitalised, sorry, 10% of the population are driving 50% of admissions into hospitals. That the majority of people being admitted are now unvaccinated. In that context, can I ask you, Minister, Torrance, uh, to, uh, to three questions? Number one, in terms of the toolkit, uh, Professor Mary Horgan is heading up an export advisory group on rapid testing. Where is that report? Uh, We need to get that rolling. It's something we in the Transport Committee want to see happening in terms of rapid antigen testing, part of the toolkit. Secondly, there are 370,000 people now unvaccinated, 300,000 of those. Are not vaccinated, at all their adults. Seventy thousand second dose. What are we doing in a public campaign? Get their vaccine? and finally, Minister, finally, tarnished the COVID cert. Will that be extended beyond the twenty second?
3: I suppose there the questions a lot of you have been asking us uh, this morning. Let's hear the answer from uh, the Tarnished uh, to Gael T D, Kieran O'Donnell. There, we
6: haven't made any decisions yet in relation to. Uh, the planned easing uh, of restrictions on the 22nd of October. We'll do that uh, in the early part of next week, probably on Monday or Tuesday. Um, uh, and we'll have more data and a better read on the epidemiological situation between uh, between now and then. But no decisions are, are, are yet made uh, in that regard. Um, and um, uh, we'll have to give consideration uh, as we see more data over the next few days. Um, I would say that the, the vaccine booster program is now progressing. Um, We're waiting on advice from NIAC, and I hope that comes very soon in relation to a wider booster program, uh, because we know in Israel, um, uh, where they had a a return of Delta, um, they got that return of Delta back down again under control through a very extensive booster program. And I think the case for that is stronger than ever. Um, I don't know when the rapid testing report is due, but I will find out and get back to you about that. And finally, just in relation to people who aren't vaccinated uh, yet, um, vaccines are still available. and vaccine centres are still open uh, it is a personal choice but uh, the truth is if people, if everyone was fully vaccinated in Ireland we'd probably have about 25 in ICU today and maybe 200 in hospital and there wouldn't be any question about uh, easing restrictions on the 22nd so it is a personal choice but it does have an impact on other people
3: mm, There you have it Speaks for itself doesn't it Uh, and uh, perhaps uh, apart uh, from uh, how much better things would be if everybody was vaccinated uh, the Tanisha also answered a question that has come in to us from a texter about Israel suffering badly despite uh, the high number of people vaccinated that was the case as he said a big booster programme there has turned that in its head and now uh, they're seeing great results uh, as a result of those boosters Uh, another text uh, to us uh, saying the HSE can downsize Navin Hospital if it costs too much but they simply can't close the emergency department what if someone has a heart attack every second counts so if now an emergency is closed will the nearest hospital now be Drogheda every second counts and the patient will be dead and fit for the slab before they even reach the hospital if those plans go ahead. The HSE and the government have a a duty of care towards us. Closing Navan Hospital cannot be allowed to happen, says our caller. Tony is in County Loud that he's been texting us and he says, "Uh, uh, Michael, I know you feel the right to put some subjects in dramatic terms for effect, but I do think this morning you came very close to inciting Violence against those making a different choice than yours. I would urge you to be careful not to do that. You know how easily led some people are and you hold a more powerful position than maybe you realise. Thanks, uh, Tony. and I certainly wouldn't have uh, thought it was that dramatic. I just think that uh, there's people who won't hear common sense and are are getting on the internet and uh, maybe... Uh, Instead of all the other things we suggested, uh, maybe the solution would be that you're barred from the internet if you don't get vaccinated. (laughs) What what would people do? Uh, They wouldn't have all of these conspiracy theories to talk about, you know, about, um, oh, they're trying to kill us and all of that. They're trying to put microchips into us. uh, Apparently, they're in the vaccines, and when they inject the vaccine into you, they also stick in slyly a little microchip that follows you around. (laughs) Um, Maybe if they weren't reading that on the Internet, uh, they'd be a a little bit more informed. Uh, They'd get their information from credible sources. Uh, And maybe, maybe, maybe uh, they'd see things in a, a different light. So maybe the solution is ban people who won't get vaccinated from using the Internet. I'm not sure what you think, but you're more than welcome to let us know.
2: Michael,
3: Michael Reed on LMFM. There was a, a really bitter exchange in the doll yesterday. It started off like this.
2: Instead of dealing with the issue, you went on the attack. You avoided, misdirected, and misrepresented. And look, you may think that this kind of belligerent approach is good for your self-satisfaction ratings. But what it actually confirms, Honishta, is that you have no empathy. You lack that basic human ability to put yourself in the shoes of other people enduring hardship. And why would you? You, more than any other politician in government, are directly responsible for that
3: hardship. That was Sinn Féin's Ono Brin, who was rubbing uh, the tarnished uh, Leo Bratker's nose in it.
6: Thanks, Deputy. Um, It's a little bit hard to hear uh, anyone in Sinn Féin accusing anyone in the government of misrepresentation. Uh, Misrepresentation, misquotes telling us what we think, telling us what we believe, and then criticising us for what you say we think and what we say we believe is classic Sinn Féin tactics. It is misrepresentation all the time. Uh, it's the thing that you thrive on. Um, and I think, I think it's beneath you, actually, um, because you're an intelligent person. You're an intelligent person. You're one, of, you're one of the brighter people in your party. And to engage in a personalised attack on me, I think, is actually beneath you. Um, I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong. Um, and it is classic of the left populism. Uh, which your party stands for. Um, it's about uh, creating ideas of the masses against the elites. It's about simple solutions to complex problems. And it's about demonising your opponents.
3: Indeed, uh, there were personal attacks going both ways in uh, the doll between Sinn Féin and uh, Fine Gael yesterday. Not just personal attacks, but attacks as well on each other's parties. The to speak. Let the men
2: speak. You don't like
3: that? Uh, that has the floor.
6: Can, can, can Corn, you, 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 might, you might give me the indulgence of, a little, of allowing me a little bit of extra time because my time was taken by, by Sinn Fein.
3: And this went on and on and on, back and forth, until eventually it descended into complete chaos. Uh,
6: and as well as that, we've brought in uh, a rent freeze in uh, rent in real terms, uh, uh, making sure the rents can't go up by more than rate, rate inflation. And we may and we may and we may modify that again
4: to
2: bring that figure down. down you no, know. deputy, deputy, Parliament. deputy. deputy.
6: This is the National Parliament. Uh, Sorry, he Deputy, Deputy, please, could, could we have, If you could finish,
3: Thomas. Uh, well, you heard mention about rent and all of that, uh, which uh, might give you a clue that they were actually meant to be talking about housing and uh, the housing crisis and rent and what was done for renters in the budget and so on. Uh, but the discussion was about completely different things. Michael Brennan is uh, the Sunday Business Post's political editor. A very good morning to you, Michael. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, that type of debate is becoming commonplace, isn't it?
1: It is, Michael, and good morning to you and your listeners. Yeah, we're, we're hearing a lot of those very touchy exchanges uh, between Sinn Féin and, and the government parties in, in recent weeks. I think some of it is driven by the government parties can see Sinn Féin is doing very well in opinion polls. It's, it's widely thought they have a great chance of being in the next government, and therefore they're attacking Sinn Féin. But Sinn Féin then are, are, are engaging in very, very personalised attacks as well on Taoiseach Micheál Martin and Leo Vradker the Thornist in particular, and also Dara O'Brien, the Minister for Housing. They are probably their three top targets.
3: Hmm. Are we seeing election campaigning play out in the doll long before an election is planned, at least, that type of negative campaigning that we would have uh, thought uh, existed only in places like America in the past?
1: Yeah, I, I think so to some extent, Michael. I also think you can't discount the uh, impact of social media. You might have heard the, the clip that your researchers uh, wisely pulled out there at the end where you could hear all that shouting and what was happening there was in the doll Chamber, Leo Vradker was trying to um, he was trying to get across a clip of him attacking Sinn Féin and their housing policy, but Ono Brin, the Sinn Féin housing spokesman, kind of knew what, what Leo Vradker was at and he kept shouting back to interrupt and ruin his social media clip so some of these attacks are actually trying to create social media clips that each party can caption So we're not
3: running the country we're staging a, a film as such to go out on social media
1: yeah, it, uh, people would have said to me that they—if you actually see in the old footage of the doll uh, that used to exist back in the, the pre-social media era—era, era, you have politicians wandering around the chamber and tapping each other in the back, and they're not conscious of the cameras <laughs> at the time. There was only a, the, the standard uh, a couple of doll cameras. Now they're very much conscious of it and how you can use the footage to uh, to attack and dare I say demonise your opponents and, uh, and 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 put it on a, to a much wider audience than, than is watching live at the time.
3: Okay, and there were uh, budget speeches in uh, the Dáil this week. We heard a, a little bit of uh, Micheál Martin's, uh, but it was interesting uh, to hear a, such a, a big portion of uh, the Klishuk's speech about the budget, and indeed the Tawnish's speech uh, about the budget, uh, because both of them used a good portion of their time to talk about Sinn and what Sinn Féin would have done if it was in government and how Sinn Féin would have destroyed the country if it was in government instead of talking up the positives of the budget.
1: Yeah, it's it's ironic, I suppose, if you remember back a couple of weeks ago, the Fianna Fáil review of the party's uh, problems in the general election came out, and one of the complaints in the review was they had spent too much time attacking Sinn Féin and not enough time in their own policy, but I suppose the Taoiseach felt he, he needed to uh, have a go back at Sinn Féin, because they, they are trying to effectively destroy the credibility of, of this budget as the lead opposition party, and he's trying to obviously maintain the credibility of the budget, so... The only concern I would have is you could hear the bitterness in the row there between Owen O'Brien and Leo Vradker. Vradker was genuinely hurt. I don't think Owen O'Brien was very comfortable either in delivering that attack. And you heard Vradker say at one point, you know, I think this is beneath you, Deputy O'Brien. You're one of the bright people in your party. So... I think I think it's 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 a shame when 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 it descends to a, a kind of all-out uh, you know bear fight in in the doll and also with a, a last corral there on Thursday, is Catherine Conley, who finds it difficult to keep order, and that also allows uh, allows them mm. to go off the reservation a good bit.
3: Did they take advantage of that? Do you think?
1: Oh, they certainly do. Yeah, <laughs> okay. they certainly do. Uh, Shauna yeah. Farrell mm. has his own difficulties as Kankorla, mm. but generally the the rows uh, maybe don't escalate to. The the same level when when he's there.
3: Okay, is anybody in particular more guilty than anybody else, or are they all equally guilty of this?
1: I, I think there, there are times when when people on the government side will you know will make very cutting personal remarks about Sinn Fein TDs and and vice versa when you were Sinn Fein taking government minister on a very personal level. I say if you were to give a score draw, Sinn Fein at the moment are certainly you know personalising a lot more of the stuff, um, but then they will argue that that's what their voters want. They want to see people tackling the government and and taking them on. But it has it is certainly it's a, it's. A at quite an intense level over the last couple of weeks. And some of that, by the way, is that the Doll Chamber is back and they're now going eyeball to eyeball, whereas when they were in the National Convention Centre, they were shouting across maybe 50 metres, which is is a bit harder to do.
3: So good, I I, I take it then, for people who enjoy the sport of politics, uh, but not so good for people who uh, look to politics uh, for a, a better country to live in.
1: Yeah, no, I think generally it leaves a sour taste in the mouth because, you know, look, Leo Valkar brought up Trumpism and so on and hopefully we're a long way off that but we certainly don't want a few years down the line to people uh, storming the doll and all the rest of it and uh, you know we'd definitely like to avoid that kind of scenario.
3: Okay Michael we'll leave it there for the moment thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. That's Michael Brennan who's uh, the political editor for the Sunday Business Post who brings our programme to its conclusion today our time has run out and it's once again I hope you've got a lovely weekend and God willing we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on lmfm good morning bye-bye
2: the michael reed show podcast tune in weekdays from 9 on lmfm to contact us email now michael at lmfm.ie
9: selling a little or a lot Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify.
0: Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door.
9: Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and
0: 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra.